Hi, I'm Maeve Doyle, and you're listening to A Private View. On today's show, I have Russell Young, an artist whose take on pop culture is adored by pop culture itself. As an artist, he's most famous for his bold colored prints of ill-fated celebrities like Elvis and Marilyn Monroe. Young's enduring themes are glittering and abrasive, perfect yet fragmented, and absolutely timeless. And the sense of proximity that still enthralls Russell Young and his collectors. Hello, Russell. Hello, Maeve. I know that there was a long study period of the nature of celebrity before you started doing the diamond dust icons and and, and the work that's currently in the glamour game in Stad. That, that's such an amazing exhibition. I'm so happy with the exhibition and Maddox Gallery. Um, very, very happy. So celebrity, um, you know, obviously we start off this life not knowing what a celebrity is. And we just... You know, as we get old, we have older. We have heroes as little kids, right? Whether it's whether it's Batman, it's Superman, it's Bridget Bardot. And my father introduced me to to heroes um, through movies, mainly through movies. So we would go watch movies like The Magnificent Seven or a Marilyn movie, or you know, westerns or some crime thing. And and it was through that growing up in Northern England where there were George Best was the only hero, really, a, a footballer, um, that I started to find this, just this great cast of characters, both glamorous and beautiful and ugly and mean. And, and the, you know, like the sort of the world I live in, which is fame, shame in my work. So I, I, I just, movies were everything. And I thank my father for taking me to so many. In in fact, you could you could imagine a life that you wanted to live through the movies. It was escapism. Um, I grew up in Northern England in the sort of late sixties, early seventies. That I, you know, I was ten ten years old in sixty nine, and I, I saw sort of you know all the just all the great bands, Hendrix, everybody, the Stones, and there was a, like a counterculture thing, and it was just a form of escapism. It was. It, it was and still is fairly, you know, grey in Northern England most of the time. Um, but it was pretty brutal when I was growing up as a kid. I mean, there was, you, you had a fight almost every single day, um, you know. So there, this was just a great place to escape and know that there was somewhere better or somewhere more interesting, somewhere more intellectual, somewhere more fun. And, and so something that you call escapism eventually materialized into you to your life and your work. And that and that's sort of what's really interesting to me is that that thing that captured you as a child is sort of what formed you as an adult. Yeah, I mean, it was it was uh, it it was strange. You know, I knew I had to escape from something and, you know, I just knew I there was a better place for me to be. And it was a really huge surprise when suddenly these celebrities are coming to my camera. It, it just, I, I just sort of didn't plan it that way. I just fell in love with photography. I'd always been an artist since I was like three years old. I was always drawing and scribbling and doing scary trees. So it, it was such a surprise when these people came in my studio and I'm like, Oh, hang on. I'm, I'm, I'm with Bruce Springsteen. Oh, I'm with Bob Dylan. How the, how the hell did I get here? You know, it was, a, it was, um, you know, it's a, a sort of an unintentional journey, but one that was sort of, you know, I'm, I'm very, as you know, I'm very um, relentless 
relentless is what I am. Uh, my oldest son said to me recently, he said, Dad, the one thing that stuck with me growing up is you were always relentless and you told me to be relentless. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, I, I, still, I still am. Yeah. Well, that's the kind of subject that we're talking about. We're talking about the American dream, which initially inspired you. And, and the characters in the glamour game all represent aspects of the American dream. That idea, if you work hard and you commit to something, you can change your life. Yeah, I mean, that was so, you know, Marilyn and Elvis and, you know, I mean, this great cast of characters are in the glamour game um it it was interesting so america still has the american dream but there's there's just like such such an undercurrent sort of socially here in, in especially you know sort of on the on the border states and it, it's it's absolutely disgusting what happens so you can't ignore that with all the glamour and the fame comes this horrible dark side and, you know, that has probably always been there. Um, the sort of American dream, you know, you can still live it. You can still try to achieve it. Um, it's still on sale in America, um, you know, uh, not even on a special at the moment. But you can still have the American dream if you want to. But there is this very, very dark and ugly side that that goes with that that you can't ignore. But when I... This time, I had a museum show in the Museum of Modern Art in Shanghai, and the Chinese government asked us to do this whole timeline of sort of American history through the 60s and 70s. And that was a really, really interesting thing because it covered Martin Luther King, JFK, it covered Man Landing on the Moon, all of which are themes in in my exhibitions, and, and my, they are my protagonists, some of my protagonists. And so... I was able to look at this timeline and it really struck me that, yes, I, I do live in this 60s, 70s world, you know, that, that, that I like to sort of delve into. But there was a souring of the American dream that sort of, you know, clicks in with the, you know, the assassination of JFK and Martin Luther King. And then we have Woodstock, which is this unbelievable sort of, you know, sort of celebration of love and peace and all these hundreds of thousands of people. It's chaotic, but it's beautiful. And then a few months later, we turn to Altima where the stones are playing and they have the Hells Angels as security and the Hells Angels kill Meredith Hunter, um, you know, beaten to death with Paul Court cues. He had a gun. It's a long story. But, you know, that was almost a turning point, a souring point in the American dream. And it's I, I use that 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 screen to do some large abstract paintings and i'm fascinated by you know this wonderful glamorous idyllic culture love peace marilyn monroe whatever you want to take and then this is underbelly of crime and violence in america Uh, and that's what fascinates me even in the early 20th century icons that you started meditating on, let's say, the Marilyn Cryings, the Marilyn Glamour, the Marilyn Hollywood, the foreshadowing in her incredible beauty and representation of American ideals, there was already cracks showing. And for instance, and this happens a lot, 
in the glamour game or when people look at your work, they'll start the sentence with, I remember. And so you bring memory back into it. And with Marilyn crying, I think people wonder when the image was taken and at what part of her life. Was it, was the press hounding her? The press still hounding people? Yeah. So, so, I mean, I worked very closely with the, the Marilyn Monroe estate and the photographers who took, or the estates of photographers who, um, you know, took photographs of Marilyn. I mean, people ask me sometimes with a Marilyn crying if I took that photograph. And I said, I, I was three when she died. Um, so this is how long ago we're taking. So she's just just continued into the future, into the present. But, but with the Marilyn crying, what it was, she had come out of, um, I, don't, I don't, can't remember if it was a courtroom or her house, um, just after she got divorced from Joe DiMaggio. And the image I chose, it's a, it's, it's a very wide image and she's, there's a, a car behind her. There's all these paparazzis, reporters all around her. And I focused in on a, you know, probably 20, I don't know, like 10% of the image, if, if not less, and focused really close in just on her and her gesture. And it seems she's beautiful but she's sad. And I mean, there's just all these just, just perfect emotions going on there for me as an artist to, to, to come and explore. Um, I'm going to go back to one of the first things I saw uh, was your work in 2003 called The Pig Portraits. And, and that was, I think you were still doing photographs at the time. And it was the first series of anti-celebrity headshots. Yeah. So what it was, it, it was, I had stopped being a photographer and I I had decided that I'd sort of fallen out of love with the music industry and it fallen out of love with me. I mean, I directed a hundred music videos during the heyday of MTV and the the music that was coming to me at that, that sort of, you know, late nineties was just dreadful. Um, so I, I decided that I would go back to what the three-year-old wanted to do, which is be an artist. And so I was able to put enough money aside to have a studio for a year and go think. And I was living in New York and um, I thought I would probably do abstracts or, you know, sort of landscapes or whatever it was, but I just got drawn back into the photographic image and the photographic negative and knew I had, you know, so many years of looking at light and dark and shade and, and dots per inch and everything else. And so, I decided that screen I would try screen printing. And so I sort of culled all these wonderful um, mugshots of, of famous people. But the very first one I saw that sparked the idea was of um, Mickey Rourke. And it's, you know, 4 a.m. in the morning, probably, and the police clerk was taking one picture. And he looked really mean and cool and hard in his, um, in his mugshot. But... I had taken, I think it was for GQ, I'd taken a, I'd spent a week with Mickey taking photographs of him. And, you know, I wanted to make him look cool, hard, mean, handsome, all those things. And, and that's what he wanted as well. And then I looked at this and, you know, I spent a week photographing and I saw this one mugshot and went, hang on, that, that's everything he wanted to be, but that's really weird. So I started and I found the Sid Vicious mugshot, Elvis, Al Pacino, Frank Sinatra, Martin Luther King. And so the idea was to make these celebrities sort of, you know, I, I, it was sort of a reaction to my former career where, you know, I was paid to make people look handsome, cool and mean. And I thought, well, let's make them look ugly. 
this time. Maybe that's interesting, but there's some sensibility inside, just just wired inside me, which makes things look glamorous, even mugshot. So that was the very first series. You know, I didn't. It wasn't intentional. There was an odd power to them. They didn't look ugly. They kind of looked more interesting. And then you'd wonder what? Why were they arrested? What were they arrested for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the backstories are fascinating. I, I never. I, I've used the. Um, an image of the Magnificent Seven riding on cowboys. And this is the old movie with Steve McQueen and um, Yul Brynner and everybody in. And I, I used to know all the cowboys, who, who, who was one and whatever, but that's not important to me. You know, and almost where Marilyn was or what somebody got arrested for uh, are never important. It's the image, it's the light, the shade. It's, it's a whole load of different emotional things I go, I go for. But, you know, I mean, it's, um, I did one of a mugshot of um, James Brown and, you know, somebody, somebody peed in his toilet, uh, private toilet in this convention place. He got upset, brings a gun in, chases people, he gets chased over two, two states by the police and everything. I mean, it's just like a crazy story, you know, um, and then he gets arrested and then click one little, one little second and that's it. I, so- I sometimes think your process is research. Endless, endless research. It is. Yeah, I mean, at, at the moment, I'm working with um, a great agency f- on a really iconic photographer's archives, and we're having to go and reach out to, I mean, talking to Bardo's husband, talking to, you know, Jagger and Kate Moss again. And, and you know, and it, it's, it's years. I mean, it's years of research. It's, it's, and it's a lot of money and in lawyers and buying rights and things like that. But um, yeah, I don't go still or appropriate. I, I think being a photographer, I see that whoever took the original photograph actually deserves something. So, Tell me why Bardot. I want to go through some of your characters and tell me what it was that resonated from them. I mean, well, firstly, for me, I met you through the image of Jackie Kennedy. And when I saw that, uh, whether she it was in the back of the car before the assassination or separate, that all came to mind. Now, my parents, they were Irish immigrants to Canada. So the Kennedys meant everything. And that story was so <laughs> big in my household that I thought I knew what happened and where I was when Kennedy was assassinated. Years later, I realized I wasn't even born. But the power of that, <laughs> right, the power of that story was so huge within my household. So your Jackie Kennedy anchors me to my childhood. And I, I don't feel well if it's not with me. You, you mentioned Bardo at the beginning, but the Jackie image, is is significant because I think it was the first time she was photographed with her engagement ring on. Um, And I I had a show called Fame a few years ago. um, And I positioned Jackie with her engagement ring, my painting, Diamond Dust painting of of that, next to Kennedy. And he's in this ticker tape parade. but And he's on the back of a car and there's all these people and he's just so celebratory. But it's when he was a senator in LA, I mean, and campaigning to be president. And you're thinking there is no po- politician that would possibly get that, that those accolades or that love now. But then just down the corridor, the next painting was a Marilyn Monroe. So, so I always like to, you know, have a narrative. Everything has a conversation. Each painting talks to the next one. Each series talks to the next one. So, so we have Jackie O, not Jackie O, Jackie Kennedy, sorry. And then Bardo, I, again, just 
just being a kid, just just pure sex. I mean, just just I just just fell in love with her, and then later on, I would see her in um, like the um, Jean Luc Godard movie Contempt, and and you know, which is shot on Casa Malparte, which is just just a phenomenal <laughs> movie, and it's just strange and just just got a great pace to it, and whatever. I mean, you know, she could do no wrong for me for many years. Well. Just a, a little bit more. We've sort of covered it, but it's about it's about the glamour game and how relevant it is. And, and the glamour game is just the title of the show, but it's the work that you did in the early two thousands that seems to be just at a heightened reality now, uh, in in everything in Baz Luhrmann's films, in in the series Blonde, everything about Ali. And I wonder if this isn't some sort of way of reflecting on the origins of the American dream and where the American dream's at. And if your collection, the collection that's on display in Stadt at Maddox, the glamour game, is is kind of a, a sign or a remembering of what was once hope for? I don't know. I'm just going there. Can you comment at all on what I'm yeah, trying to unpack? So, so the glamour game, yeah, the glamour game was um, beautifully curated i mean it, it, it you know every as i said before every painting informs another painting and these these cast of characters just resonate and they all they all sort of help and talk to each other um how do they fit into america as we know it now again like it's 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 time history is is you know these are aspirational characters because with social media and the trash that is out there, um, I, I guess. I guess modern modern actors don't have time. They can't say anything wrong. They can't do anything wrong. They are just trapped, and everything they do is is commented on, or photographed, or on Instagram, or Twitter, or on TikTok. And you know, I mean, you know, that, that's the same with our children, right? They they live in this life that's so immediate, so throwaway. And I think these, you know, Marilyn Monroe, Brando, whoever you want, Elvis, you know, these are just characters. Yeah, they, they just last and last and last. And Muhammad Ali is a perfect, um, perfect, you know, exa- example of that. This man who, you know, went to prison because of what he believed in. I mean, you know, it was, it was, it was really a, a truly sort of, you know, great, bold statement, you know, and then to have done it back in those times, being an African-American back in those times to have done that. I mean, it's like ridiculously brave. Um, with my father, I would watch all the Ali fights. I mean, I just, I don't know what it was about him, but I just fell in love with him. So I still do screen prints of Muhammad Ali. I work with the Muhammad Ali Foundation and, and it's, you know, they're, they're really great to me. I mean, it's just, I'm just very, very lucky there. But the Glamour Grain brings all of these people and there's electricity in the show, the light in the show, the diamond dust that reflects around it. You know, it's in the mountains with the snow all around it. So there's that reflective light quality. And this is my first exhibition with Maddox Gallery. Um, we have just started working together and I'm really, really excited for, for the future and the, the support and the, the team at the Maddox Gallery is quite overwhelming. It's quite phenomenal. It's so well organized. It's just... It's just so easy, so easy to, to work with them. So some say that uh, your work puts you firmly in the tradition of Andy Warhol and that someone who, who 
commodifies and appropriates famous faces as a tool for social critique? Well, I don't appropriate. Andy Warhol did, and there's that case in the, in the Supreme Court at the moment between the, the use of his photograph of Prince, which was Lynn Goldsmith, and the outcome of that will be fascinating. Um, but yeah, I, I, do, I do look and I do glamorize. I do make things look more glamorous by the use of diamond dust and the luxurious nature of it. Um, but then I do have another darker side to me that will go to some of the darker characters in, in history, in American history. Uh, uh, I'm going to keep saying the same things over and over again because I, I know and you know that I've been stunned by your work for over a decade. And I, I just, uh, I think as someone who moved to the States from Britain that you saw America in a unique way. And I really am glad that you point out the fickleness of fame and fortune and that sometimes her dreams are actually our nightmares. So with the view of America, yes, I come with a, a very unique eye from Northern England and having taken photographs of celebrities. But what is interesting, so I'm, I'm adopted and two of my three children are adopted, but um, a very close friend of mine, Taylor Garcia Dickinson, who was the, she was the head of the Dennis Hopper um, Art Trust. So we worked together using some of Dennis Hopper's photograph, but she, we, we'd, we sat, sat in Marfa, Texas for a week over her coffee table in the evenings. And she wrote this little essay on the, for the fame exhibition. And she pointed out something that even I didn't know about myself. And she, she, she surmised that because I was adopted and had really no family history, I can't go back, right? There's, there, it just stops with me. And um, that because of that, I have this huge open well, really, of, 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 of a, a place where I can put history and look at history and bring in all these characters in a sense as my history. So, so I couldn't, you know, I couldn't go back to who, who, who my biological grandfather or father was. And, and so that, you know, I have, a, have a, had wonderful parents. My mother's still alive. And, you know, it, it's, it, it, I, that was really fascinating to me that, that not only is it because I'm looking at it from a unique perspective from Northern England and then being in the celebrity world for 15 years, but then also because I, I have no history. So I, I, in a sense, I can invent it. I can do whatever I want with it. And, and I have space for it, whereas most people don't, because their, their history is jammed up with some great-grandfather fighting in the Boer War or the Civil War or whatever it was, you know. And you were, you were liberated of all of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just floating around. <laughs> Hardly. Uh, Russell, I love your work and I love talking to you. I love uh, the light and dark touches of your personality and the artwork you make. Uh, before I wrap this conversation up, is there anything you want to say? No, thank you. Thank you. I've, I've so enjoyed our friendship over the years. Thanks, Russell. Thank you, Maeve. You've been listening to Maeve Doyle's Private View. This podcast is produced by Will Fitzpatrick at Soho Radio. The music is by Korshid Homi. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>